This episode is sponsored by yet another great company that I use and endorse, and that is Bubs Naturals. Now, they are offering you guys a discount on your first purchase with them, and I'll get to that in a moment, but I really want to tell you the history of Bubs. Bubs was a call sign of Glenn Doherty, one of the courageous Navy SEALs that died in Benghazi, and his best friend, Sean Lake, co-founded Bubs Naturals not only to bring wellness solutions to the community, but to take 10% of the profits and donate to charities in Glenn's name. So I first came across their collagen through Jeff Nichols and had no preconceived notions or biases, but I started to witness in myself, my nails grow faster, my hair get thicker and longer, my skin, I've got very dry skin and it usually cracks in the winter, that has not happened this year. My joints, the aching, the kind of inflammation has definitely subsided. And then what really blew me away was actually my gut health. I saw that improve. And when you think about the gut is 80% of your immune system, that is incredibly pertinent. They have the apple cider vinegar gummies. I also take those. And then the MCT oil in a powder form has allowed me to put creamer back in my coffee after swearing off dairy for years. But when I have this creamer, it's adding energy, it's adding mental focus, so yet it's another supplement. Now, as far as efficacy, they're the only collagen that is 100% NSF for sports certified and Whole30 approved. So as I mentioned, the discount code. They are offering you 20% off a one-time purchase by using the code SHIELD at bubsnaturals.com. And if you want to hear the full story behind Bubs Naturals, and the courage of Glenn Doherty. Listen to my interview with Glenn's best friend and Bub's co-founder, Sean Lake, on episode 558 of the Behind the Shield podcast. This episode is sponsored by 511, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 511 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 5.11 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 5.11tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. 
And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. This episode is brought to you by Thorn, the industry leader in nutritional solutions. Now, Thorn is actually trusted by eight U.S. national teams and championship teams in the NFL, NBA, and Major League, as well as recently becoming the official sports performance nutrition partner of the UFC. So when it comes to supplements, the tactical athlete space and the athletic space need two things. We need efficacy, meaning the Products do what they say they're going to do on the label. And then we need to trust the fact that we are not going to fail either athletic drug tests or work-related drug tests. Now, Thorne has actually been around since the 1980s where they were used by physicians and hospitals for nutritional supplements for the patients. They were so successful that athletic teams and even special operations teams reached out to them and they started supplying them as well. Very recently, they actually opened their doors to the general public. Now, what sets Thorne apart is they manufacture their own products in a state-of-the-art NSF-certified facility in South Carolina. They use only the purest possible ingredients formulated with no stearates or arbitrary fillers in the cleanest manufacturing process. Most of you listening come from a profession where it can take its toll physically and mentally, and many of us are not able to bolster our nutrition purely with the food that we eat. And that's where supplementation comes in. So if you're ready to maximize your health and performance, visit thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Take a short product quiz to be paired up with the perfect health and fitness supplements. And for you, the audience, if you use the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, BTS10, you will get 10% off your first order. And if you want to learn even more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast and you will hear my interview with Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro from Thorn. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome back onto the show Darren Olin. Now, Darren has been one of the wellness gurus for multiple years now, but is also half of the Down to Earth team the television series he hosts with Zac Efron. So in this second conversation, we discuss a host of topics from the parallels of him losing his home in the California wildfires and the wildfires he witnessed in Australia, the impact of heavy metals, forever chemicals, and other contaminants on our physical and mental health, his new book, Fatal Conveniences, Grief, and so much more. Now, before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every single five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, therefore making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of well over 700 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person on planet Earth who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I welcome back on the show, Darren Olin. Enjoy.
Well, Darren, I want to start by saying thank you so much for coming back on the Behind the Shield for the second time. Um, so I truly appreciate you uh, revisiting the show. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, great conversation the first time. I'm sure we can explore a great one again. Absolutely. So where I, I let me preface this question. The end of the the last season of uh, Down to Earth, we learned that you'd lost your home in California to a wildfire. When you and I spoke, you know, you were still very much in the what we're going to do now. You're sitting in a house at the moment, but I know that's not the site that you lost. So where on planet Earth are we finding you today? Yeah, I'm still on the property. So that was my goal is to be back on the property so number one, it was really, um, so I knew what was going on here, uh, cleaning up the, the existing infrastructure that got wiped out, getting my dog back, um, and being active and obviously wanting to rebuild as quickly as possible. And of, of course that, that's an oxymoron doesn't really happen and so i'm i'm sitting in the future guest house one of the future guest house in a yurt still working for over four years later still working but we're staking roads we're redoing some roads we're getting a guest house done probably in april may which is a very cool modular clean living home um for the guest house and then we have plans in for the the uh sustainable art piece of the the new um kind of main house plus all of these other we've got two areas uh where a food forest design is going um i've got a greenhouse in half of the old footprint of the old house that burned down and i have all of these designs with some incredible friends of mine with alpha core and my buddy chris Patton with clean energy technologies that we're going to be using throughout the throughout the property so there's a lot going on and um of course i'm impatient um but we are, you know, I hold the vision and the vision is slowly starting to happen. So you were all over the world in season one. You were in Australia season two, and we'll get to that crazy story that, you know, put you there and the COVID experience. Um, but before we do, of all these these different nations that you went to on top of your own you know, travels before that, what are some of the innovations that you brought through that um those experiences that maybe you wouldn't have thought of prior to this fire? Well, I mean, I think, you know, because, because of the show and because of my involvement in so many different things, some are public and some aren't, um, that I, I get inspired. I, I would have to say probably once a week or once every couple of weeks. So, um you know uh some some um uh, certainly from season season 2 we came away with some incredible new ideas on plastics i think the, there was some um through uh Livia Firth i met in, in the clothing industry sustainable clothing industry we had met with um 
one of the largest uh, Italian denim designers or manufacturers, and he was developing um, sustainable, clean, non-petroleum, elastic, uh, stretchy denim pants, right? So it's it's all of that and then plus i've been in ingrained in this for and and for a better part of 20 years so really the 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 wiping out of the home became this canvas that you know aside from the grief of the loss what really starts to become and the patience that it takes to get there it's really this incredible opportunity because this property you know every property is different so you you that's part of the canvas of anything but there's also principles that if you have land you should grow food right any any plot of land you should grow some food Right, you should grow some herbs if you have a windowsill. You should you should get involved with the, the that that aspect of of collapsing the the distance of food to you. So, from that perspective, I have a lot of opportunity to grow food. I have, in this instance, I don't have to catch much water because the land itself catches a lot of water. So I have a well, I have a river, so water, and then shelter obviously i look at shelter a lot differently after you know you use sticks and glues and things that can burn um in a in a ecology that we we don't often acknowledge um as modern society anymore we just go i just want that house i want it there overlooking that ocean and you know that's my dream. So we don't consider what the ecology wants. Um, and so in this instance, I see a lot of people in the area building a certain way that is just the same. They just want it up. They want it. Up. I'm like, yeah, but most of California is a fire zone. I live in a fire, fire ecology. It has always been a fire ecology and it always will. And the ups and downs of it burning more or less and everything else and how you, you know, the indigenous people worked with the land in terms of understanding that ecology and working with it and how it's necessary for this land to burn. You take all of that into consideration and be you know full circle coming back on the property as much as possible i was here when it was ground zero there was nothing and then i could be with it as it sprouted up and then as the fire brought new opportunities new plants new flowers um it changed the landscape and so all of that applied knowledge with also other experts it's like where's the house positioned when the winds blow because that wind combined with the fire is what not knocked out ninety six thousand acres of 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 land uh and houses and um so with where's the position of the house okay so we position it the best place you could possibly put it what is the materials of that house, right? Is it le legitimately uh, less fire receptive? And so, yeah, we're using 
we're using basalt rock, we're using Roman concrete standards and waste ash and, and other types of alchemy that, that have a huge fire um, retardancy. Um, so all of those things, plus the energy side of things, like it, it goes back to, isn't it powerful to be sovereign? I don't care what the state of the world is. It's powerful to grow food. It's powerful to have your own water. It's powerful to have a, a home that is resilient and strong for the place that it's in. And it's powerful to walk outside your door and pick your food. Um, so, so from all of that stuff, I think everyone can resonate with a level of sovereignty. And so the transmutation of fire is also the same transmutation of energy that I'm using. When I saw the first sprout of the ancient oak grove, uh, you know, behind where I am now, the joy that happened i said listen nature is a is a force that has been here four and a half billion years before us so learn from her observe her and work with her and and then let's make this the greatest kind of expression of of a nature reserve nature preserve um and and health inducing living as opposed to a you know a tiny tangent of our lives mostly indoors and the indoor air quality is worse than the 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 air air quality outside so that with a hundred other questions i was asking myself lent itself to this opportunity that came by way of a tragedy well, you just put an image in my head as well. I had the Beth Bauer socks on, who was the dispatcher for the Paradise Fire, where you know homes and lives were lost. Absolutely awful. But when we think of a town post-fire, there's usually something still standing, which is the chimney, which is made of stone. So a kind of real aha moment is just like you said, well, if we're going to rebuild, why don't we use the very things that clearly are able to withstand it? It may not be, you know, blocks specifically because you also have earthquakes and would that be a good structure or a bad structure? But yeah, how can we use materials other than, you know, compressed wood and, and stucco and some of these things that don't do so well so that even if a wildfire does blow through, you actually are able, able to safely shelter in place if it's built to specifically withstand it? Totally. I mean, we, we the bottom line is we have to be less apathetic to our lives we've gotten so complacent in i just want to live how i live and we put so much power into other people and other things and 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 you know i bought this piece of land so i want to do whatever i want to do with it without taking in the this vast knowledge of the land itself and of the topography and of the the first nations people that may have had some input into understanding how to live here uh, what is the vegetation? What can grow? What can help thrive? What can bring back the bees and the and the and the and the and, and the birds and the other animals? Like, how can I live in some symbiosis with this? Other than the the idea of cutting myself off with everything to go into a place to then shut off everything. Uh, I'm doing the opposite. I'm bringing bringing life 
into the area and let myself uh, be a part of it and fold in on itself rather than shut itself down. Um, so yeah, a lot to consider. I think th that, you know, it's certainly questions that I don't know how you wouldn't ask if you just lost everything that you cared about. One observation that I've made on the show quite a bit is um, the arrogance of a lot of modern thinking and a, and a disregard, certainly when we were younger, of any ancient wisdom, you know, chiropractor and, and acupuncture and organic foods and all these things. Oh, you're a hippie, you're this, you're that. And now I feel like we finally come full circle where humble pie is starting to be eaten and we're going, ah, chiropractors, you know, what was that thing again? Acupuncturists, you know, herbal medicine, etc. So your first journey, I feel, kind of took you to all these different places that also reconnected with some of the ancient ways of Iceland or, you know, Costa Rica or whatever it is. But then the second season took you specifically to Australia. And I want to get to the Aboriginal people in a moment. But you have an interesting story about that adventure that was season two and the pandemic. So talk to me. I think it was not long after we had our first conversation about your experience going to Australia during that that uh, viral incident that we had. Yeah, a bit of a viral incident. Uh, you know, obviously the first the first uh, season came out during the pandemic, so uh, and, and people really resonated with it. So we got this second season, and then uh, you know the pandemic happened, and then you know Zach was already in Australia. Um, I love Australia. I've been there five or six times before that. Um, very very familiar with the the opportunity that it has and the expression that it can provide in many different aspects of what we care about. And it's an island, so therefore it kind of represents its own little micro and macro uh, cosm in terms of that, and micro and macro ecosystems. Um, so, uh, so yeah, if we're going to do the show, how are we going to do it? Because we can't travel around. You know, the the it was pre pre vaccines and stuff. So it was still, there's a lot of questions. There was a lot of how, what? How do you do this? Australia was pretty strict at the time. Not even as strict as it became once we left, which was kind of a blessing <laughs> because it would have made it impossible for us. Um, but we slid in. Uh, we quarantined, uh, and then we're free and we had no virtually, I mean, aside from showing up to an airport and having to wear a mask, there was no mask. There was no, it was as if we had the suspension of the insanity for a bit of time and we were able to do our thing. And, um, the, the interesting part of season two was it was a inherently deeper because the first season was kind of almost country episode country episode so it was it was all one country one episode pretty much the whole way and so you it became kind of a bookend okay well now we're going to do this and it's going to be over here and now we're going to do that it's going to be over there so this became kind of a naturally layered show um because things started to kind of play off of each other so and we also weren't flying by the seat of our pants. We didn't really know. First season, we just started shooting. We weren't didn't really understand the format of the show. But now season two, there was 
Australia and Australia alone. And we had a good sense of, of what we're going to get into. And then of course, very clearly, um, the, the plight and the challenge of, of the Aboriginal people and the first nations people, um, you know, we want to honor all of that. And, and, and so, you know, that, that very first episode and the first scene, that was literally the first, uh, that was the first scene. Like that was the first thing we did. And that was because we wanted to actually honor it and actually go through the ceremony and actually connect with them. So that's the great thing about down to earth is like, yeah, you have to set things up. You have to have conversations. We're going to come to your, your cafe or your restaurant. But the most part, all of that was just like, let's roll. Let's, let's just let, and that was, um, that was the real ceremony. And so we, we clearly realized that that is throughout, we're, we're taking that stand throughout the, the entire show because uh, we're going to every region and every region is 300 plus different uh, Aboriginal and First Nations um, communities and they're very active and passionate about their you know certain things some the same some others different and they have their own sometimes languages and and ways of doing things so it's like well, how do you not kind of let that be a, a strong part of the show and and then we kind of let them you know that full that full episode where you let them uh do their own speaking because who are we to speak for them in a sense so um, so they were very much part of the whole show, uh, even behind the scenes. We want to make sure that we were saying and doing things correctly. Um, so that that alone for season two was just deeply spe- special and spiritual, right? And um, uh, and I'm still, you know, connecting with them now, right? So how can I help? What can we do? Like. Um, so yeah, that, that was, it was powerful and it was powerful layering effect. And obviously we met incredible, again, a whole array of people doing incredible things that we could put some spotlight on and, um, and, uh, you know, not have this doom and gloom kind of idea, but that innovation is at the seat of, of creativity and, you can't be creative if you're in fear. So, um, and certainly you're talking pandemic and there was a lot of fear and there was a lot of not good stuff that came by way of that. So to be able to celebrate the things that most people blast you with fear about, let's not do that because there's a, there's 8 billion people on the planet and let's support each other and let's let them be safe and secure in their lives because then that ignites the possibility of possibility because you know um that to me is more important than anything else you know so we just need to do a better job i think my blanket statement here is we just have to do a better job of taking care of us as a human family because we have the answers and the answers are not 
out there for someone else to do. The answers are here for us together, connect together. That's why the show, we we go there, we meet them, we talk to them like, wow, let's let's do this together. You know, and that's where it's it's easy to do the show from that perspective, because you're you're literally having moments after moments of wow, that that was really special. And what they're doing is really special. You've mentioned going to Australia quite a few times. I lived there for about three months. And at the end of my trip, I ended up traveling down the East Coast and then out to Alice Springs and back and visited Ayers Rock. One of the the biggest shocking thing was when I went to Ayers Rock, there was no one of that particular Aboriginal tribe around, no one, you know, storytelling of their culture. And it was even to the point where you could pay the climb up Ayers Rock, which is sacrilege to the Aboriginal people um, so we refused to do that, but we walked around. Um, and so I felt like the very Mecca of, for that culture, there was no one representing. And now I don't know if I just had a skewed perspective. I didn't really meet any Aboriginal people in the cities that I went to. I didn't meet them at Ayers Rock. Have you seen an evolution, a, a, an improvement in their presence and their um, you know, reintegration to Australian society? It would be impossible for me to 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 understand that you know uh, you know the times i went there um i was i was as naive as anyone else about first nations people and and now the the importance that they do represent those lands um uh i take a completely different approach now if i'm going to australia and i'm going to hell anywhere at this point um i've luckily been able to kind of connect with a lot of indigenous people in my in my prior work um so it always matters and means a lot to me um but i think that um you know there's some good work uh there's some i think there's some parliament changes um some representations that are happening and we're working with some aboriginal people in the clean energy space too uh the government has failed them a, a bunch and and they don't have answers and so we're trying to help from that perspective and some clean energy stuff um but you know it's it's so I have I, I I hope that their voice and their actions are received and that integration and support of their ways uh, is is um, positioned in a way that people can understand it rather than just blasting continuously on this modern day, train that is is kind of leading to our own oblivion um and i I'm, i say that very pragmatically i mean it's just you know you know um, disregard for pollution disregard for other people in in the flippant pursuit of of the god many people worship more than people uh is is that of this god of profit and and 
You know, that that's just unexcusable. There's nothing wrong with profit. I love profit. But when you align it with not a self-serving, but a self-giving um, nature of business, then you watch conscious capitalism change the world, right? So um, anyway, that's a bit of a tangent, but you know, you 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 want those types of programs to proliferate. And um, hey, listen, I guess more poignant to your to your question, integration, some of the top scientists, some of it didn't make the cut in terms of the show, but some of the top scientists, ocean scientists on the planet working in Australia very much meet with the Aboriginal and the First Nations people because they and they literally to our face said without their knowledge, it would have taken us who knows how long to understand this, this, and this. So it's it's imperative that we work with First Nations knowledge, you know, you could argue 60,000 years of knowledge, and then you're trying to understand from a scientific point of view how can we you know you know better support ocean health better support the great barrier reef better support whatever is going on in terms of the challenge we have to come to the table with each other uh it's just arrogant to 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 not do that absolutely we'll say on that same theme my observation during the whole pandemic was to stand in the middle of the road because, you know, an acknowledgement that this virus is, is a real thing. I mean, I have friends that are in the medical community that are, you know, calling these deaths of these poor people. But then the, you, know, you have the other side, the, the immunization side. You know, I'm not completely anti-vax. If it's something that truly works and has, you know, a lot of science behind it, I'm not, you know, freaked out about it. However, the constant, the truth, the common denominator was... The healthier the people, the less chance there is of, of dying of this virus or any other virus. Of course. So many of the people in the wellness professions, and you've been in the holistic space, space for your you know, entire career as well, I think we weren't just silenced. It was almost called heresy. How dare you suggest that that 300-pound, 50-year-old died of obesity? It was the virus, you know. So what is your observation, and again, with that arrogance of, of some modern medicine versus a traditional way of life that didn't have obesity in this country 100 years ago, what has your, been your observation of the, the last two years through a holistic lens? <laughs> How long do we have? As long as you want. <laughs> well, listen, I, you know, without, you know, without, you know, targeting myself, it, it, you know, th this, this, I mean, you could go on the fringes all day long and make up your own theories and that, and that, you know, people can go off on that stuff. But pragmatically, if I just look at a, like this last two years was a, was a megaphone or a magnification of severe problems. So let's pick let's pick one. The medical establishment. Um, the Mayo Clinic here in the United States. I only have the stats for the states. So the Mayo Clinic 
one of the most prestigious. I was born in Rochester, Minnesota, but not at that hospital, but very close to it. Uh, one of the most prestigious hospitals on the planet, certainly in the United States and on the planet, supposedly, right? They had a study of not even extreme at all. Like, do you exercise reg somewhat regularly? Do you eat, you know, pretty good? Do you live a healthier lifestyle? You get some good sleep. And under average kind of protocols of assessment, 2.7% of people of the 330 million people who live here in the States that have driven the modern lexicon of how to live, right? Quote, unquote, 2.7% of the people were deemed healthy. 2.7. That's not 10%. That's not 20. That's not 30. That's not 70. That's not 80. That's 2.7% are only healthy. So that is 93% plus of the people in a conservative measure are unhealthy. So if I look back at the pandemic, like you said, viruses, the biome are in our air, in our water, in our soil, on our hands, like MERS staff are in our gut now, E. coli, they're, they're, all of it is a part of us. COVID now is a part of our biome, right? Natural immunity. That's why, you know, um, that, that, you know, over sterilization has sprinted us towards this excitation of resistant, very, very intelligent viruses that, again, predate us by billions of years. They're good at their job of survival, right? And proliferation. They get stressed, they survive, right? <clears throat> we need them also, right? We need bacteria also. Everything needs to be in balance. In balance. So this, this medical world has divorced itself completely and that has never had the conversation in its inception and the start of the AMA here in the States and that kind of model. And therefore, when the pandemic started, it is sticking to its script, but it's so acutely sticking to it. You're going, what, what, why are we not talking about peer reviewed data of vitamin D and vitamin C and zinc? No authority in the, mainstream media is talking about protective clear mechanisms of nutrition and sleep and exercise and 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 that kind of thing so it amplified during the pandemic clearly and um again i'm not going to go down the roads because i don't know what the the real, real truth. Clearly, truth is starting to come out more and more and more. But the 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 biggest thing is you go back to common sense. 
take care of yourself, eat whole food. Uh, you know, doctors are a third leading cause of death in the United States. So, you know, take that how you want. If you're, if you, that's also with the divorcing of common sense, what you're putting in your food. And I would also say it's not necessarily the person's fault, which is why I got into fatal conveniences. We are born into this culture where I can walk down the aisle of a grocery store, especially inside the aisles, and it is my stat, but I'm making it up. I would venture to guess it's over 99, it's close to 90% plus of all of those foods have some sort of chemicalized something that is probably not great for your health, right? And they're still on the shelf. And those regulatory bodies have failed miserably, which is why I wrote the book, which is where I'm staring at research, that they know it, they see it, they're writing an article on it, and yet that forever chemical, that PFAS, that phthalate, that EDC, that endocrine disruptor, all of those things are still in your food, which are carcinogenic, which are, there's an interesting word now called obesogens that pop up as a result of preser preserving. It's very clear in the scientific literature that certain, there, there are half-lives to certain chemicals. Not all of them bioaccumulate. The problem is we're getting hit. Once they leave, you're getting hit with the other ones. And the other ones that are bioaccumulating, are, are sh the body's brilliant. They shove it into fat and keep it away from the, from the organs of the body so that the body can keep moving forward. But yet now you've got this toxic substance in fat and your body very much doesn't want to get rid of that fat because it has a toxic load in it. So there's this, this term called obesogens that's now being used uh, in the science community. And Dr. Um, Leo Tresande, uh was one of the first people that I met and wrote an incredible book and and called out that. So, um, so yeah, it's a it's a big thing. I just, you know I think my whole career, everything is going towards. I want to wake up the common sense that I know is within all of us. I know it. I don't want to be on this side where I, I don't want to spend my time figuring, trying to figure out who is the master planner of it all. I, I want to talk to the moms and the people that care, that have children and uh, that, that are aware enough that oh maybe those Dio doritos you know that yellow number six and that blue number five there are some real significant data that leads to the harming of those chemicals to you and so i want to wake that up you know that baby bib that you so easily can wipe off that you put on your child when he you know throws up his food well, that in proximity of your child is dangerous. Why? Because how they made that so easy to wipe up and not absorb is they put a cousin of Teflon 
on that called PFOS. And it's great now. Uh, the PFOS is getting out now. It's getting out in the in the in the world more and more because it's a very very dangerous co compound, right? But it comes from that grandfather of Teflon, and that it that's on receipts, right? When you buy something, they say, "Do you want a receipt?" You say, "No, I don't want to touch it." I feel bad for those people at the register. I would say, put a glove on that. Don't touch those receipts all day because those are really bad endocrine disruptors. They're slippery. They put PFAS on, God forbid, people are eating fast food. But why food doesn't stick to their wrappers? There's more PFAS. And they found that um, a big study, they found that nearly 100% of the people all had a level of PFAS in their blood around the world so, yeah around the world so so we are we're insane so part of what i've taken on and it was a legacy that i didn't realize was a part of my family and my dad suffered from chemical sensitivity and told me about it in order to be around him i had to not use X, Y, and Z and deodorants and shampoos and laundry detergents and shirts and all this stuff. My dad has passed away. And so I, I proudly take that on because whether you're sensitive or not, it is absolutely affecting you. Just like you said, all over the world, nearly a hundred percent of the people have this in their blood and it is not good for you. And it is accumulating and it is lowering your fertility. It is sprinting you towards ovary problems, premenopause, postmenopause, like uh, early kids, um, uh, PMS, like uh, men's infertility. Like we, we have a problem right now. Many men do not have sperm that work. I'm talking about young people that have certainly, again, we have, we have birthed people into this world. 287 chemicals are in the umbilical cord of virtually every child born today. 280 of them are carcinogenic. That's how we're starting. So if I circle all the way back to the Mayo Clinic study, 2.7%. Well, I'm staring at it. I'm looking at it in a million different directions. I'm like, yeah, we've gotten really good at undercutting our life and our health. And we're born into it. Because this, this, this ship has been going for a long time. So I also want to say, all the people listening, it's not your fault, but now that you're starting to know, now you can start avoiding things that are getting you exposure. You can start buying better products. You can start using those dollars to support better companies that have your better interest in mind. And through the 8 billion people on the planet, that's where the tsunami of power changes everything.
let's get out from under thinking that even though it may or may not be happening, a bunch of billionaires want to want more control. Well, they became billionaires. Clearly, they're good at profits and power. So, but they don't own 8 billion people. So, let's wake up. Let's wake up, moms. Don't put you know, easy plastic diapers on your child. Let's not put that baby bib. Let's not put PFOS laden dental floss in your mouth. Let's not put elastane around your private parts and in 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 stretchy jeans. Let's not put a laptop on your lap because that's also showing endocrine disruption and infertility. So there's a whole host of things. I clearly I mean, I'm talking about so many things that I'm covering in the book. That's why I'm writing about it. Because I want people to know and understand that, oh, that makes sense. I'm not in the conspiracy world. No interest. Right? No interest. I'm just like, straight, you and me, having a conversation. Here's the science. Here's where they said it. Here's where you should look out. You know, then you make the choice, man. Like, I'm just delivering the information um, so that people can have more sovereignty. Because, unfortunately, there's just so many different avenues and angles we're getting hit with by so much of this stuff. So we just have to, you know, take it one thing at a time. You know, tap water, you know, clean up your tap water because there's a lot of nitrogens and phthalates and endocrine disruptors and pharmaceuticals just in your tap water. So, yeah, and don't buy bottled water full of plastic because those phthalates are the things that make plastic squishy. Those are those are those are mimicking estrogen compounds. So that's flooding your body with more compounds. So for men, that's driving that's taking up the space of receptors and flooding your body full of estrogen. And then driving down testosterone. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. And then they're moving the target of what's healthy for our testosterone. They keep moving that. And so it's like when pe- when a doctor says to you, you're in normal ranges, that is not necessarily your ideal or optimal. More cases than not, it is definitely not <laughs> Well, it seems, so, I've seen the industry shift from that complete ignorance to now you've got all these clinics that are selling you exogenous testosterone. Now, all of a sudden, it's almost the other way. Well, yeah, you're here, but you could be here, you know? Yeah. And so now I'm seeing young men, and sadly, shift work is absolutely horrendous for hormonal disruption. And I know multiple people in their late 20s, early 30s that are literally addicts of exogenous testosterone and that stuff is not cheap either and their their genitalia is atrophying or the testes specifically so once they get past a certain point let's say they retire out come off shift work clean up their diet lift a little more they're not going to be able to come back from that so they're going to be on that stuff for the rest of their life dude that's scary isn't it i think so people yeah testosterone replacement therapy trt right so it's like and i 
I come from this place. I've I've never taken any of that stuff, and we're we're jumping steps. We're jumping common sense steps, and if you clean up a lot of this stuff and you eat healthy, your testosterone naturally will fire up, right? And I was involved in one study, and then there was several other studies that happened before and after and since, and whether the plant-based listeners or the, or excuse me, the carnivore listeners want to listen to this or not. Um, it was very clear that once we eliminated uh, meat from someone's diet, men's testosterone went up by 33% in the matter of three weeks. Right. So, and you can call it, we cleaned up a lot of stuff in their diet. Right. So, so I, I am acknowledging it's not just that. So let's just say, clean up your food, eat whole food, right? And your testosterone will go up. Your sleep, master your sleep, increase breathing, dropping sympathetic stress response into parasympathetic, have healthy relationships, get rid of anxiety and stress and anger and fear and all of that stuff. And your testosterone will go up. If you've done all of those things and you have some sort of metabolic, you know, deformity, then consult your functional medical doctor, get all of the data tested first, because you could also be running around. I remember we were just talking, I was talking to another buddy, Jeremy Piven, that actor, he was eating, he was eating, um, he used to live here. I haven't seen him in a long time, but he used to eat sushi every day, twice a day for most of his life. And I think he was going on stage, but I could be wrong, but he dropped, passed out. And apparently he, he, he had heavy metal poisoning that he didn't know about. Right. So, so you could have forever chemical bioaccumulation. That's definitely going to pull your testosterone down. You could have, um, did I say heavy metal? Yeah, yes. You heavy said yeah, metal, the forever then, chemicals and then heavy metals. Yeah, and the heavy and the forever chemicals and the heavy metals. You could have a whole host of things, plus any of those things or any uh, mental health challenge or fear or anger or resentment that you haven't cleared that is causing stress. All of those things and so much more could be affecting one bout of antibiotics could could throw off your entire digestive system and hormonal system. So let's so my point is figure out what's going on for you, optimize you and then look at these other options but but like you said these young people going on testosterone replacement yeah, you 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 literally would become dependent because the body perceives testosterone in, in the body and so then the, the production mechanism, which is your nuts, will atrophy because they're not needed. The body's intelligence going, oh, you don't need them because we're flooded with testosterone. And they become and that, the size of has, Baruka nuts then. Exactly. Gonna, <laughs> you don't want to be the size of Baruka nuts in that way. <laughs> Well, what's interesting and very, very sad, um, firstly, to testify against the holistic element, I 
had a knee injury right at the end of my career and it wasn't what put me out i rehabbed it i got to the to where i could go back and i put my retirement into focus focus on this because i think it was doing a lot more good that being said the blood work that i had done when i was just off shift work my testosterone was in the 500s which for 44 years old i think because i ate well because i exercised because i'd use my re- you know my days off when i accumulated them to take extra days but what was interesting, four years later, now at 48 years old, I had my blood work done again and my testosterone was 700. And this is all without supplementation, but it's just purely understanding. Right now I'm not on shift, really being even more diligent with my sleep and not being you know, crazy about nutrition or exercise, but doing all the things that were helping while I was a firefighter. Once I got to do that at home without the stress, without the organizational stress, without the shift work and, you know, and then the exposures because the, the, the PFAS is forever chemicals, but it's in our gear, our firefighter gear. It's in our firefighting foam. And I had Rob Belot, who was the lawyer in the Dark Waters film, the one that, that was poisoning that local town. Um, he came on the show and it was incredible hearing about that. So, you know, we as a as a community in the fire service have so many of these exposures all stacked on top of each other, which is one of the reasons why so many of us die so young. Yeah, I never I, I, I of course, you have those PFOSs so that anyone listening, all those Gore-Texes and those uh, water resistant coats or whatever that's unless they're calling it out those that's are all pfos clothing right you can you can wax it right there's waxes now that are coming online which are great but yeah you your your fire gear is full of that stuff plus you guys are walking into one of the worst situations you could possibly imagine because you know, like I alluded to, the indoor air quality. Well, why is it bad? Because we have off-gassing just normally. We have formaldehyde in in the couches, in the furniture. We've got, I mean, I don't know around the world, but they still put fire retardants, which, by the way, is so freaking silly because it was based on research of people falling asleep with a cigarette in the 70s of minimizing the mattresses and the couches catching on fire but they actually do not stop any fire and what i also realized is they put they put fire retardants in television sets and i was like what plus so think about a home burning all of those toxins going into the into the atmosphere into the and then you, you guys are bursting in there of course you have your protections but you're just getting blasted and um and then having all of that stuff on like yeah i think that's a i mean that's a whole nother level of brave you know (laughs) well we have a thing called overhaul as well which we're getting better at now but we would wear our gear put the fire out and then, you know, again, when you take a step back, it is common sense, but you're in, when indoctrinated to a way of doing things and, and a sliding scale of this is what a man does, this is what a pussy does, <laughs> which is, you know, that includes the mental health side as well, which is why we have so many suicides now. 
But, you know, now the fire is out, we're going through and we're, you know, removing stuff that wasn't burnt for the loved ones and maybe searching for a family pet and we may or may not be wearing our masks. So now, you know, like you said, if you imagine that the house is off-gassing without ever being on fire, then that really does kind of underline the diligence we need, even if the fire is out and it's not smoldering, it's not warm anymore, that that stuff is still in the air and, you know, the, the micro particles are going to go on your skin still. Big time. And listen, I had to do that in my house. I got so frustrated with people not working fast enough. I just started getting on the tractor myself and shoveling my old house up. And I had to take samples when I cleaned it all up and send it to the EPA because I couldn't get any further permits or move forward without them clearing. And it is so gnarly what shows up in the ground and think about the water and then what was coming off of that forever. I, you know, and that's the thing. We have no idea the, even the interactions of all these things. There's been not only do the 80,000 toxins that are emitted in our environment every year, there's only a few thousand that are tested. And of those thousand that are individually tested under strict probably non-world usage, zero is studied as interacting with each other. So are people understanding the interactions of those 80,000 chemicals? Not even close, not even remotely. So it's just a, it's just an experiment that, again, look at the data, we're losing, right? We're dying, we're wildly unhealthy, and uh, we've lost our way. So, okay, let's let's wake up. Let's shake off the apathy. And let's be better for ourselves, for our children, for our homes, for our pets. And start there. Absolutely. And work our way out. Well, I want to hit one more topic before we make sure that we know that people know where to find the book. Um, you found yourself in Australia, Kangaroo Island, and the devastation of their 20, 2019, 2020 horrendous wildfires that was, I mean, the images of the, of the animals that were killed, some of the beautiful images of some of them being rescued and, you know, by firefighters and, and um, sanctuaries. But you got to see the magnitude with your own eyes. And you are someone who lost their own home in California just prior to that. So what was that experience like for you? And what were some of the takeaways? What were some of the lessons learned amongst all the people that you met with that topic in mind? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you meet someone that has gone through something and you're both there, you both, there's an un spoken thing that you know what they went through right so you you, you there's a there's a natural empathy which is very very powerful remedy too that i could show up with them and there was a little more recent than me and we could share these moments of of i think my biggest takeaway is anyone going through anything tragic that we need to grieve we need to have the space of grieving it's different than being a victim massively different than being a victim this happened you have feelings about it this is 
sucks. This is hard. This is sad. This is brutal. There's no reason. You can't understand it. Why me? All of those things are absolutely healthy to go through. I think the challenge, especially in these kind of societies, our modern societies, is we just blow past that. And and then what I would also say to people who are listening, if you have someone who went through something tragic, especially a fire and they lost things, don't say it's just things. That's a, a fucking horrible thing to say to people. Because think about your most prized possession or your framed picture of your grandfather that raised you, whatever it is. No, they're not just things, right? They represent something. They hold an energy and they're gone. So flippant conversations, things like, I am so sorry for your loss. And then shut up, right? Be okay with letting people be not okay. Let them have the space of the of the fear and the anger and the what's next and and that that healthy movement of grief has an incredible opportunity when you go. This is not me as a victim. This happened. What is right about this situation? Now, what's stop when the grief is healthfully looked at and acknowledged and cried over and screamed over health in a healthy way. The under, other side of that is what is right about this situation? What is possible? What opportunity is here that I didn't know? For me, the opportunity is everything that I'm doing now is folded into my life's purpose in such a, a deep and forever path that I, I, I did I want all of that to happen? Of course not. Would I take it back? Nope. Not because it, because it gave me so much. It gave me this depth this deeper purpose and this further mission of, you know, you can call it many different things, but this water, this water, power, food, shelter, sovereignty, alternative to, I mean, listen, the fire here came from a monopoly of a, power structure the power company the power company's derelict of duty caused the fire which is already known so i don't want to put that much i don't want to give over a pun intended my power to them i want to figure out other ways and we now know in the Northern Fire that the sovereign nation, I forget the, I apologize, I forget the First Nations people there, 
that had their own sovereign area that million i think up to a million people came because they had power and they had water and they had shelter because they were off they had their own grid so in these situations microgrids are amazing because people can still have power and they can still have power to to shoot water and to fight things and have you know to be able to respond and also shut down things right what do they want to do in California? High winds. They will shut the whole grid down because they don't want one power pole that's 20 miles away from me to break and cause another fire. Well, there's other ways of doing things. So I'm looking at things in other ways as a result of a tragedy. And I'm grateful for that. Beautiful. Well, that wraps up the conversation perfectly. So for people listening then, Fatal Conveniences is in your new book, Talk to me about where people can pre-order that and then when are you looking for it to actually be out? Yeah, so people can get that on all platforms, uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, every place pre-ordered. Uh, it comes out May 15th. Uh, and yeah, it's it's full of things to avoid and always a better solution. So it's not just things to avoid. There's always a better way. So I spent a lot of time and a lot of research and a whole team that helped me get there. Brilliant. Well, like I always tell people, there's ownership as part of it, but the environment is the other part, you know, and whether it's, you know, McDonald's in every corner or, you know, a, a park on every corner is going to dictate whether you in that whatever ownership level and discipline level you have, if you're going to make a good uh, decision or a bad decision. And the more people understand about the true difference between the processed food in the packet in the middle of the store and the you know organic fruit you can get from the farmer's market in your town or local farm or whatever it is, the more knowledge they have, the more they are empowered to make those better decisions. So I want to thank 100%. you so much for you know not only your work up to this point, but this new book and this podcast. So I truly appreciate you being so generous once again with your time. You bet, James. Uh, keep charging, brother. I um, thank you for your services of fighting fires and, and your services now of, of shedding light and providing good, solid information to people so that they can live a healthier life. I appreciate it.